The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. blessed to be here with y'all and it doesn't feel like that in this moment to tell you the truth I just had a crazy fight with my wife and I have to leave for New York in the morning so I'm just trying to land in this space and do what I came here to do. I came here to talk tonight about desire and all the things that I heard about it and thought about it and read about it. And uh, I was walking out of my house and I was trying to figure out exactly what talk to give and my wife had some really good suggestions. (laughs) Oh boy, it's so strange doing this thing. Desire, they say, is the wish for anything to be other. Any desire is the wish for anything to be other than it is. And that seems to be our practice, right? We sit here and continually find and try to let go every time we get caught in something. So I feel like this is a... Man, y'all are crazy far away. Can y'all come in? I'm used to a little bit more like like story time love. Hey, how you doing, Joe? Good to see you, brother. I feel your support, though, bro. Thank you. So all phenomenon, the Buddha once said, is rooted in desire. Right? The, everything we think, say, or do, every experience comes from desire. Even we come from desire. Right? Our parents desire to merge. We were born into this life because of our desire, our desire to be, consciously or not. Our desires keep redefining our sense of who we are. Desire is the very essence of man, Spinoza writes. That didn't feel very comforting 
You know what I mean? Like if it's this thing that should be extinguished. Because that's what the Buddha said, right? He, he said desire is to be extinguished. Hmm. But it's like any other emotion. It can be helpful or not so helpful. So I want to talk about how do we distinguish these desires. You know, it can be the catalyst for a meaningful life or the tornado that rips through it. So, Ann Carson, she writes, that desire implies the presence of three things. The lover, the beloved, and that which separates them. In other words, there's always this gap, an obstacle, the space between me and what I want. This space, this gap seems like the problem. And we want to get rid of that. This is clinging. And I suggest that if we want to relate to desire in a different way, we've got to learn to sit in that gap. That desire opens up between me and what I want. Learning to sit with desire without expectations. Mm. And to put it in context of the Buddhist tradition, desire is a pretty central theme. And it comes up in the second noble truth around the causes of suffering. And you know, this whole thing about desire being extinguished I'm not sure if I agree with that yet. You know, I'm Italian, so it's, it's hard. <laughs> I think there's an amazing amount of energy in desire. And I think to disregard it or, you know, without discernment, it's to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So I want to kind of look at these the second place it arises in the Buddhist context is the Eightfold Path. Uh, when we get to right intention, it talks about desire a bunch in there. So desire is yeah, what's on my mind tonight. And I would consider myself fluent in the language of desire. You know what I'm talking about? You know, when it comes to travel and sex and food, and I just love that shit, man. <laughs> I do. You, you're not supposed to swear here. <laughs> Is that cool? Everybody cool? Still here? Cool. If, if you could name a desire, I've probably tried to find my happiness through it. And still, I'm sitting here with you. So shows the effectiveness of these desires, right? Instead of finding happiness through these, I felt unsatisfied, which led me to this path. And in the words of one of our founding fathers, he said, the more a man has, the more he wants. Instead of filling a vacuum, it makes one. That was Ben Franklin. Undercover Buddhist. <laughs> and when we begin these conversations about desire, it's really easy to turn it into a moral issue. 
You know, it's pretty easily collapsible to just get straight up righteous with it. But it's it's not about it's about really this discernment I keep pointing toward between what's helpful and what's not. That's all we're talking about. What's what's helpful? What's gonna, what's going to lead to happiness and peace? And what's going to lead to more suffering? How we can tell is usually the state that the desire puts us in, right? Because it's immediate. If we look at the state that a certain desire holds, like right now, say, I'm a, I'm a clothing fiend. I used to own a clothing store. So when I walk into like a, uh, like a clothing store, I start like salivating, you know what I mean? I look around and I, I know something in here is going to complete me, you know? <laughs> so I feel all contracted and desperate, right? Like I, I don't even see the other shoppers. I'm just looking. <laughs> so that's just a preview of the coming attractions, right? The state that it puts you in. It's clear. It's not going to, even if I find that thing, it's not going to be different after I find it, right? Because I'm still me and I still, the desire is the problem, right? Mm. Now, even with this preview of the coming attractions, we're still going to want it. You know what I mean? Like, we want what we want. I I knew I was wrong when I did this thing that got me in the fight with my wife tonight. I knew I was wrong, but I still wanted to do it, and I messed up, and I had to apologize, and felt stupid, and, and so it goes. I heard Gil say this once. He said, I think we get stuck on the object instead of the state it puts us in. I thought that was beautiful, man. Because we do. I do. The Buddha taught that desire is the main cause of our suffering. How could that be? How could that be that the very thing that I want is causing me to suffer? I mean, it's ironic to think that the things that we want are causing us suffering. He said the the mechanism of desire is a grave misunderstanding that we are not complete. That our desire gets fixated on outside things that we hope will complete us. The problem is that whatever we desire can't fix us because we ain't broken. Right? So how, if the, if the imbalance is mistaken, that's like opening up your car hood and throwing in an extra part and hoping it runs better. <laughs> it can't make the car run better. The car is fine, dude. But it's like the greatest energy in the world. I mean, it gets us up in the morning and drives us to jobs we don't even like because we're hoping we're going to get something. We're going to have the money to buy what we need to finally get out of this race. And we're racing to these things that won't do it. You know, it's like this fuel desire.
I mean, I've thought so many times in my life, if I could just have this one thing. I thought that about my wife. I thought about the car I drive. I thought about the job that I have. I thought about teaching here, you know. And I thought it about things. And I thought it right or wrong. I don't care. I still want it. I'll pay the price on the other side. That's desperation. Y'all know about desperation? Yeah? Cool. It's just a different sangha that I'm used to, you know, so I just keep nodding once in a while. So I want to talk about that desperation a little bit more. The desperation essentially is loneliness. That's what I feel like. I feel like that's the state that it puts me in. Because I want this thing. Who wants it? Me. You? Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know if y'all want it. But I know I want it. And I want it real bad. And so that puts me in this state of disconnectedness from everybody around me. Because it's what I want. Yeah. Desire. Desire feels like a really lonely place to me. So, if, if I were to get really raw and essential about what I want most in my life, this is I want to be loved and I want to be known by the people around me. So the very feeling that I'm desperately trying to avoid is where desire delivers me. It's wild. It's like drinking salt water. The more we drink, the thirstier we get. The hole we're trying to fill feels exposed. Literally unfulfilled. And it's kind of like property taxes, you know, you can never pay it off, right? Because I've tried to, I really have, man, I've tried to just, you know, to fulfill these things. Like, I just thought, you know what, if I, if I just smoked this much crack, it would have to be enough. And it wasn't. And if I could just have this beautiful a woman or this much money in my bank account or go to this many countries, I really thought that it would satisfy me. Yeah. See, the way desire causes us suffering is by taking us even away from ourselves, right? It's a bugged out thing because what I want is over there. So I'm not here anymore. I'm living in some future time when I'll have that. Leaning toward a moment 
when everything will be all right. Instead of here. Right? And whenever we think another moment holds what this one doesn't, we're caught in like a, a shell game, you know. One of my teachers says that desire, the translation of the word desire, the translation of the word desire is away from our star. And that, that sounds kind of Marin, but I get it. You know what I mean? So it's been said that the feeling of desire is the one of being homesick. Nisargadatta Maharaj, she says, the problem is not desire, it's that your desires are too small. That's a dangerous statement for a brother like me. <laughs> I guess, like, when I get into this whole desire, renunciation thing, and man, I just try for so many years to be good, you know? Damn, that's exhausting, you know? So I gotta find another way to be with this. Cause I can't just not like what I like. It just, it's not effective. So, what Nisargadatta was pointing towards is not to get rid of it, but to deepen our attention to what we truly want. What do we truly want? I remember when I was about 20 years old, I got clean off drugs and a, a guy in Narcotics Anonymous, he said, what do you really want? And I said, I don't know, bro. I, I, wanna, I want the pain to stop and I don't want to shake and I don't want to be cold. And he said, uh, why don't you make a list of things you want? And I remember going back to my house and making a list of the things that brought me true pleasure and things that brought me true pain. It was very interesting. I had spent most of my time trying to figure out how to be happy when most of the thing, most of the way I was spending my time was things that were bringing me pain. It's really bizarre to see it so black and white. So Nisargadatta is talking about what do you truly desire? And not to settle for the mediocre dreams. So when he says our desires are too small, what I really hear him saying is to go big. Right? If you're going to want some shit, want some outrageous shit, you know? Suzuki Roshi writes, Renunciation isn't giving up the things of this world. It's just accepting that they go away. So it's not bad that we desire, but it's the willingness to experience things as they are, not as we want them to be. And like I said, I think there's a lot of energy and desire, so I don't think I'm ready to give all that stuff up. But there's a different quality to the idea that we're all just longing for connection. To belong and to be loved. 
When we can be with that as the root of our desire, it takes a lot of smoke and mirrors away from me. And perhaps allows desire to become the medicine instead of the poison. Instead of this being the poison of our spiritual life, we could transform it into the fuel, the object of our practice. One of my teachers said, let the manure of your mind be fertilizer for enlightenment. I thought he was telling me I was full of shit. <laughs> Probably was. But it's like the peacock that eats its that eats poison to make its feathers brighter, you know. So no matter what shape desire takes, we try to follow it back to the source. Not to cut us off from our aliveness or our passion. Just asking you to investigate it. Sit in it, Jack. Don't keep reaching for these mediocre dreams, man. Let it free us by a truer understanding of it. To become intimate with it, man. Intimate with that desperation, with that desire. Thank God this practice is to let go. And instead of reacting to it or denying it. To receive it in kind awareness. Like we've been practicing here for how long? Receive it in kind awareness. Can help us. When it's not tainted by grasping and aversion. It's just another experience. I heard out of Yashanti say. He said, you know, it's just a birthday candle, man. But it's one of them trick ones. (laughs) It just keeps lighting. What I hear in that is that the capacity for joy increases as the attachment to the self diminishes. It's like watching TV, but we, we forget we're watching it. Right? We're so caught up in the storyline, we actually think it's real. I love that term, reality television. Because we actually think this, that's, that's how my life is, you know. Talk about projection. So the Dharma asks us to back up a little bit and notice. Take a wider view of what's happening. And I really think this idea, this idea of self is really wrapped up in it. This I, me, mind mentality. I mean, it's even in our language. It's really, really, I've been able to travel a lot and when I hear different translations, you know, I don't think anywhere else in the world do they say, I'm hungry. It's like, no man, hunger arises, you're not, you're not that. You know what I mean? They, you know, it's wild the way we do that. You know, if there's one thing 
that I think the Dharma has helped me understand this is to not take things so personally. Because I live in a really personal world. I might be the most, I'm definitely the most like highly sensitive person I think I know. Like, I think everything is in either praise or blame. You know what I mean? Like everything in my world. So, the, the Dharma keeps reminding me that it's really not so personal, bro. And I keep reminding the Dharma, yes it is. <laughs> but they say, man, uh, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about, right? <laughs> so with this wider view, we may be able to see the emptiness of craving. And taste the freedom that awareness can illuminate. Without the judgments of our desires, and if we could delve into the experience of it, I think we might be surprised at what we find. You know, I've, I was sitting in Russia this uh, last summer. I was on retreat. And I was there with another teacher, and we were... Digging it. I was on tomatoes, so I mean, this cat was just swinging for the fences, you know. He was smashing down walls, you know. And uh, I was in this really, really fearful place, man. I was just uh, in my room with my blanket over my head, and my boy was there talking me through something, and and it was like it felt like eternity. Uh, I, I got caught up in this this really deep eternal place. And eternity turned out to be about 17 minutes. That's how long it lasted. Because I was like, yeah, I'm going to feel like this forever. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, dog, it's, it's quarter after, dude. <laughs> we can still catch dinner, dude. It's all good. <laughs> so why I don't feel like that, though, right? How do we delve into the experience of desire? See, every desire tells us that things in the present are limited and lacking. And you either accept the desire or accept the lack. These these seem to be the choices. And why why the Buddha was so cool is because he called bullshit on that. He's like, that ain't even true, man. He never lowered his expectations. What is it? You know, he said, if you let go a little bit, you get a little bit of freedom. If you let go a lot, you get a lot of freedom. If you let go completely, you get complete freedom. He never sold out, man. He realized the ultimate happiness. One so free from limit and lack that it would leave no need for any other desire. That's possible. I believe it's possible. I don't know it yet, but I believe it. So the question isn't whether desire is good or not. What's important is how are we relating to the presence of desire, right? Just like everything else in our practice. Not to change what is happening, but how do we relate to it? 
What is our relationship to desire? To stop fighting and investigate. In this case, the nature of the wanting mind. Desire is just another phenomenon. It's not a problem. It's the attachment and aversion that's the problem. The good news is, is that happiness and peace is the heart. It's the heart's innate state. It's so hard for me to believe that. Just because of the lives we've led, but it resonates. It's foreign to the mind, but our hearts know better. And I believe there's a deeper level of happiness where we won't want anything to be different. When we can finally end this war on want. But you probably shouldn't want that too much either. (laughs) The truth appears to eyes no longer clouded by longing. When I heard that, it was like a punch in the belly. The truth appears to eyes no longer clouded by longing. So I say, I guess, once you wake up, it'll be much easier. These are some of my thoughts and a lot of my teacher's words and uh, some stuff I read. Just some of my ideas about desire. And I want to know how it's landing out there and what's happening for y'all. I can understand desire, but I have a teenage son who's a drug addict. I want him to be drug free. How is that desire bad? It's a really um, difficult question, but I just want to sit here with you in it. say that desire is bad if that's what you heard me say and I understand your wish and what I hear in the Dharma is that they say that people's predicament is not based on our wishes for them, right? So how do we keep loving and let go? 
How do we do this? I sit in this boat with you because my sister's a crack addict in this moment. She lost her four kids. And so I know what it is to sit in this place and try to not logically explain it away with the Dharma. Because we've got to make room for our feelings. I can tell you that you're not alone in this feeling, though. And the best thing I can offer is company. The truth has a certain burn to it, doesn't it? Like a certain sting. I sat surrounded today in juvenile hall teaching meditation to kids that had facing a lot of time. Some of them going to Pelican Bay for 25 years. Children. And I sit with them and Talk about forgiveness. Talk about freedom. I don't know what I said today to them or you if it will help at all. All I know is that I'm doing my best to try to be helpful. If I thought there was a more effective way, I would be doing that. So the Dharma is the only place that I've tasted freedom. That's why I'm staying. Please. Um, as I heard you speak, it was really helpful to hear um, that which stands between you and it, because I, it was opening doors for me around aversion. Mm. And I have trouble, I think I have trouble telling the difference, but they both stand between you and it. So I wondered whether you have any comments about aversion. Have you been able to tell any difference between wanting things to be different because you want to push away the way they are and wanting to pull them towards you. I, I'm a little lost on that one. Hmm. 
So give me an example, because I really want to understand your question better. And I, I don't want it to be hypothetical. Because okay. I don't want to be hypothetically enlightened. Well, what comes to mind is resentment. You know, so I was sitting with some resentment in my marriage and realizing that the resentment was around the way things haven't been. But I'm not sure that's any different than wanting them to be other than they are. So it's just a really powerful negative state. And I don't know. I'm your words are very helpful as a place to, to focus. Like, go to the resentment is what I'm mm-hmm. hearing you say. Just mm-hmm. be with that. Mm-hmm. So, I think I understand. So, what I'm asking is, when you find yourself in a state where you want something to be different, right? How much of your meditation is in that space? You know, you just sat for 45 minutes. So how, how much do you know how to sit with things? You're not digging the way things are going. You know how to sit in that space, right? I'd say briefly. So what happens in your meditation when you practice that? Because that's a big part of my meditation. Because I think things should be different in almost every moment. (laughs) I do. I do. That's why this practice is perfect for a brother like me. Because it just keeps, the birthday candle keeps relighting, right? Of what is wrong with this moment. Well, I would say that for me, it's so, I get so averse around it that I quickly slip out of mindfulness. It's like, whoop. There goes the resentment train. It left the station. Right. And if I can remember, oh, resentment, and actually feel it, yeah. that's doing really well. Yeah. That's rare. So I would, I would ask you, the next time you feel it, to find it in your body. Right? Because there might be a sensation connected to it that's actually trying to keep you present. Right? Like, that's, that's what it feels like to me when I think about my dad. My shoulders always hurt, you know? And so when I'm in my meditation and all of a sudden I be, I think about my dad a lot. And, uh, you know, I just find myself in my body because this is actually what's happening. My dad's actually not what's happening right now. <laughs> right? So if we can connect our sensations to this ghost land that we live in, we can actually come back to this body, this breath, this moment, this is our choice. We don't have to get on the train. We can actually stay here and see what's present. And then I'll, I'll notice my shoulders would just kind of soften and fall to the floor usually. And then I'm back, you know. And so to become intimate, to know something, right? Because you may know the story of your resentment. Yeah, I was just thinking yeah. that's a really good idea because resentment's a thought. It's a set of right. thoughts, right? right? So you're asking me to follow it back upstream right. to the origin. Well so, put. Thank you.
Thank you. We got two minutes. Has anybody got my man? The mic's already over there. Hello. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm thinking. You know, here we are in America, and we all desire wealth. Not all of us, but most of us. It's, it's, it's a very big thing. Wealth. Driving an SUV, having a ten-bedroom house, being a Hollywood star—you know—all these desires that people have. It's have you very... been tapping my phone again? Yep, that's exactly right. So, you know, as 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 someone who um, is dealing with desires, just you know, to go out and get a great meal, or and you know, and or or do just do something that is extravagant. Um, and then you reconcile that with, you know, uh, driving an SUV and knowing where that oil comes from, and uh, or or you know, put, putting a diamond ring on your wife's uh, finger and knowing where that diamond comes from and what it took to get that diamond, what it took to get that oil. You know, it's a kind of thing that you know, uh, living with that, you know, with those desires, and then looking at the world situation and trying to reconcile that and. Uh, just just working with your own personal life, and then you see how that reflects on a grander scale. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can talk about that as far as uh, you know uh, what's the best way to deal with that. I don't know, man. I I've uh, been lucky enough to travel to 27 different countries. What is it to be compassionate? Right? That's where it lands for me. So what is compassion? Where does my selfishness begin and my compassion end? There was a, a moment at a monastery well, my boy, he stepped on a caterpillar. And as he stepped and he went to the meditation hall, he asked. He asked the monk. He said, you know, what's compassionate, man? Should I put him out of his misery because he was just laying there wiggling? Or should I have, what should I have done? He said, uh, maybe compassion was just sitting there with it while it dies. That helped me. A little bit with the world I live in, in my family. What is it and where am I rescuing from? Is it that I just can't be with it? Because this is what's happening. So how can I sit with what's happening? And, you know, I think it was a great Persian poet that said, I don't know what this present excavation in your heart, what's it getting ready to be filled with? So I, I trust in the process. I know we got to end at nine, so I'm going to just ask you to dedicate any merit from us sitting like this and sharing. The people, to all beings in all directions, named and unnamed, May all beings know peace.
May all beings know freedom. May we all work towards liberation. Thank you for being here with me tonight.